0: morning. morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one. We call him the God-man. 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And those of us who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are Christians. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord because Christianity is a relationship and not... Or religion, as a matter of fact, religion is the enemy of God, designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God. As the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ is a person, he is not a thing, he is not a concept. And so just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word, because you can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind, and the Bible is his exact thinking. Today's Bible lesson, no matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. No matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. And that's one of the things that I've told you that's always, that always irritates me about Christian music, that there's this focus all the time on the sins. There's this focus all the time on, oh, I can't believe I still sin. Oh, I still sin, but you like me anyway. And, you know, can we get over that? could we please just give that a rest? Because when you don't give that a rest, then you don't really understand the cross. All right, so if Christianity is compared to a game, it's a game the believer in Christ has already won. The scoreboard says four. We have won. The enemy has nothing. We've won the game. First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 say this, Whosoever is a born-again one from God the Father overcomes the world. Who are the born-again ones? Believers in Christ. We are spiritually born. We were born spiritually dead, and now we're spiritually alive. So we are the born-again ones, the spiritually born-again ones from God the Father, and we have overcome the world. What does that mean? We've won the game. And this is the victory that has made a born-again one overcome the world. What is it? How do we win the game? Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The minute you committed to being on the Lord Jesus Christ's team, you won the game because he has won the game. He won the strategic victory in the creator-creature conflict at the cross. And in case you didn't hear it, John repeats himself in the next verse, 1 John 5, 5. Who is it then who overcomes the world? It is he who believes that Jesus is God the Son, that Jesus is deity in human form. With one single decision, believers in Christ are overcomers of the world. Through faith, God gives us the victory. Yet because we continue to sin after salvation, because we continue to make mistakes, and because we are addicted, addicted, to feeling bad about our mistakes, we consistently forfeit the victory we already have as overcomers by failing to believe that we have won. We don't act like victors. We don't act like royalty. But we are. We act like strivers who still have to work to please God. None of the mental gymnastics that we go through when we put ourselves through this farce change the fact that we have already won the game. It's us one, the enemy nothing with a four on the scoreboard, four quarters expended, zero, zero, zero on the clock. But addiction is addiction. That's one of the things that I've always kind of had against Alcoholics Anonymous. And I I don't begrudge anybody for being a part of that program because it's changed a lot of people's lives. But You get it when you go through Alcoholics Anonymous that you're going to do one day at a time, and you're going to stay sober one day at a time, and that's amazing. But they just keep rehashing the past. If you're sober, you're sober. If you made the commitment, you made the commitment. Now renew the commitment one day at a time. That's what we do in our lives as Christians. We just remember the commitment that we made one day at a time. But we get so addicted to the addiction. And it's time for that to be over, because at the base of this rejection of our victory is doubt. How do we get doubt? Somebody lies to us, and we kind of believe it. And Satan is always injecting doubt. Are you really saved? Really? No, really, really saved? (laughs) What is really, really saved? You're either saved or you're not. The world has convinced believers in Christ through an onslaught of incessant propaganda that our God is not powerful enough to save us once and for all time. I think he is. And if God is not powerful enough to make us victors who have overcome the world, then God needs our help. So we strive to change the world. If you look at all the posts that Christians are making, why do we have to go through this? Because God said so. It's tribulation. What difference does it make what the tribulation is? God said so. He said, tribulation is your spiritual gymnasium. Go to the gym. You know why we're so rejecting it? We don't like going to the gym. You know why? Because when we go to the gym, and we work out, we feel good. So we don't want to do that. We want to figure out, what is it that makes me feel lousy so that we can do that over and over again? So... That's why. So the world has convinced believers in Christ through this onslaught of propaganda that our God's not powerful enough to save us once and for all time. I remember when I was part of systematic theology. And what was it? Okay, you're saved. How did you get saved? You got saved by believing in Christ. Faith alone and Christ alone, and that's it, and you're saved forever. But now that you're saved, what you have to do is confess your sins Because when you sin, you're out of fellowship with God. But then when you admit the sin to God, you're back in fellowship with God. Oh, well, wait a second. Who put us in fellowship with God? God did. Oh, is God immutable? Yeah. Does immutable mean he never changes? Yeah. So how is it that when he put us in fellowship, we can get out of fellowship? If we didn't do anything to get in fellowship, how can we do something to get out of fellowship? And that's just man interpreting stuff the way man interprets stuff, which is we always want to believe deep down inside because we believe the liar that God didn't get his job done. That whole doctrine of rebound is an attack, a personal attack on the integrity of Of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is saying that what he is saying is a lie. And we have to help him. To We have to keep on helping him. To to cleanse ourselves from sins. Because he didn't pay for all the sins at the cross. What a bunch of bull. What a bunch of malarkey. I can't believe I stood in front of people. And actually taught that crap. And you believed me. Teaching that crap. Amen? Amen. And I know. Don't. Don't get me wrong. I know you still hold it against me a little bit, but, you know, you decided to put it aside. I get it. It's crazy. So no matter how hard we strive and we can strive to change the world, we can complain about why the world doesn't see things God's way. This is Satan's kingdom. You don't go to Britain and ask why they serve tea every afternoon. They do. Drink it. Shut up. Don't ask why Satan is running a kingdom that is designed against you. That's what he does. But you don't have to be part of that. The Bible tells us over and over, both in Psalm 46.10 and throughout its pages, cease striving and know that I am God. God is in control of the universe. God is in control of human events. We are overcomers. We have overcome. We have the victory. I know June remembers, she's old enough to remember when, you know, when black people were in slavery. And all we did, we sang, We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday, well, hey, don't be giving me reverb, man. <laughs> well, there's still some brothers in uh, the Charlotte airport who are handing uh, paper tiles to people and getting tips. And I always ask them, bro, didn't you get the memo? We overcame, man. It's like, why are you still doing this? But that's, that's human beings. We just like, Like a dog who returns to his own vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. We like doing that. Well, we like ignoring God's messages. God is indeed omnipotent. God indeed has all the power. God indeed has the ability and the willingness to do everything he promises. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. These things I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you, apostles. This is Jesus on the night before he went to the cross. So that in union with me you you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. All the things that they watched the next day, they should have remembered what he said right here. I've overcome the world. The wise among us, the mature among us, rest in victory and watch as God patiently reveals his might to the world. The problem we face in today's world with the global pandemic farce is that it's something that has already been solved by our God in eternity past. We can't see the solution right now, yet in faith, trusting confidence that God has all the power and he can be taken at his word that he already solved this problem, we wait. But we prefer to nod our knuckles and to get enthralled by the world's false approach to solving this pandemic and other problems. Grown-ass people are walking around with masks on who've been on the earth for 70 years, whose body has been fighting viruses for 70 years, that we're scared to death of a virus because somebody told us that we need to be scared of it on television. It was a, there was a virus four years ago that killed 12,000 people. We didn't hear jack about it. And we certainly didn't put on any masks and we certainly didn't get scared. But now we're scared. I'm in Whole Foods yesterday and this lady, the, you're, you're definitely violating the six inch rule, okay, or six foot rule, whatever it is. Okay, Rain Man. Okay, definitely violating the rule. Courts, of course, you're definitely hogging the strawberries. Get out of the way so I can get my strawberries. Amen? I am not socially distancing myself from other people. That's ridiculous. But here's the cool thing see, we prefer this lifestyle. Of not working, you know that that was always our fantasy. Oh man, if I could just be at home. <laughs> I wonder how all the people who had that fantasy feel now. You at home? How you like it? Because I ain't hearing one positive thing about being at home. We need to. I need to be around my family. How's that working out for you? It ain't working out. Don't nobody want to be around their family really, with no distractions, especially. They took everything for you. I'm, I'm crying. Right, every day I'm crying. Every time I turn on the TV and I see some sports, I'm crying. They took my sports. I like sports. Anyway, God's in charge. So this this thought that we have, that somehow God's inadequate, is the same thought that believers in first century, the first century Corinthian church had. In a much worse world at that time, these people who are already believers in Christ, already victors, already overcomers, preferred living the world's lifestyle even though they had become a new creation through the divine power of an omnipotent God. In today's lesson, we'll see that the more things change, the more nothing has changed. Even today. We settle for the world's lifestyle, even though God has changed us into beings who could never be successful in our own lives. Believers in Christ can never be successful in the old life. All right, well, let's hear some music. John called himself the Apostle Jesus Loved. And even though that is a description of all of us, because all of us are the people that Jesus loves, I like it that John had the confidence to express that sentiment. Yes, God loves unconditionally. And if you think he doesn't love us unconditionally because you refuse to look at yourself from his point of view, then you're missing an opportunity. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear resident in unconditional love. But mature, unconditional love expels fear from the heart because fear involves internal torture. I don't believe you heard me. So let me repeat that. Fear involves internal torture. And the one who fears is not yet matured by God's unconditional love. Well, we may have to beg humans to love us, but we don't have to beg God to love us. At least that's what June Murphy says in her song, sung from God's perspective. You don't have to beg.
1: secret plan before your first breath to prove how much i love you day. To beg me to love you I'll stay
0: grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for delivering us from slavery once and for all time by sending your perfect Son to make a perfect sacrifice at the cross, to shed his blood and to die for the sins of the whole world. And thank you for giving us God, the Holy Spirit, whose incessant guidance keeps on changing us into the person you already know we will become. And thank you for looking at us how we will be and not as we are. Father, encourage us every moment to see ourselves as you see us, as loved, as forgiven, as protected, as provided for, and as victors who have already overcome the world through the gift of faith you have given us. And we ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, no matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. No matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you, so stop thinking poorly of yourself. It's a complete waste of time. And why do most people do that? They're running a game. They're running a game. They want people to feel sorry for them. I don't. I don't feel sorry for you for the choices you've made to sell yourself out. I don't. Why should I? I've done it before. I've felt sorry for people. It didn't work. didn't do anything for them. So why don't we just stop? We continue our study of the fourth passage in Paul's first letter to believers in Christ in first century Corinth. You remember Corinth is like Las Vegas of the modern world. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And because we're studying this letter, as we study every letter of the New Testament, verse by verse, we need to continually read ourselves into the context of the passage. This part of the passage that we'll study today is one of the most distorted and misused passages in the Bible. And if we take this passage out of context, we miss the whole meaning of an amazing look at God's unconditional love for his believers. Really, the whole letter, 1 Corinthians, appears to be about sin, and it is absolutely not about sin. It's about God's unconditional love in spite of our sins. Amen. That's amazing, in spite of it. Can you imagine having a kid and then giving them a period of time between zero and five, and then after five years old, you tell them, all right, now you're five years old, you are not allowed to make another mistake for the rest of your life. Can you imagine doing that? Some of the the parents... Didn't shake their head. Yes, they just, yeah, I I absolutely can imagine doing that. That's exactly what I told my kid when he was five years old. Don't make no more mistakes. Because that is really what we do. We're always telling our kids what's right and wrong, right, and letting them listen to the Santa Claus thing. You're a bad kid. You're a good kid. Because we don't separate the doer from the deed. We don't separate the person from their actions. So we send a lot of those messages to kids. But you know what I mean. There's no way that any kid is going to go through this life without making mistakes. And as parents, we frankly expect that. God doesn't. God does not expect you to go through life making no mistakes. So why do you expect you to go through life making no mistakes? Why? I'll tell you why. Because you like feeling bad. That's the only conclusion you can come to. You like feeling bad. Oh, I feel so bad. How many times have you heard people say that? Oh, I feel so bad. I feel really bad. Why? Why do you need to do that? That's not God's plan for you. His plan is that you feel good. Well, in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul discusses the problems brought to him by Chloe's people and others. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7-16, to Paul will be addressing the concerns and offering spiritual solutions to the problems. If there is a spiritual solution to a problem, then you can assume that God knew in advance of you having a problem that you were going to have one, and that he would solve it in advance. He expects you to make mistakes. Amen? So get off your own back about it, every problem has a spiritual solution. So what were some of the human problems facing the believers in Christ in first century Corinth? Believe it or not, they had much worse problems than we're dealing with today, but the same problems that we're dealing with today. Elitism was one of the problems. The belief some people have that they are better than others because of some worldly measure. Perhaps it's their bank balance. Perhaps it's the circle of friends, perhaps it's their living situation, perhaps it's the color of their skin. Elitism has always plagued the world and it is all and it always will until Christ comes again. But God doesn't look at people this way. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. There is no partiality with God. God looks at a homeless person and sees that person the same way he sees a rich person, only probably, he probably likes the homeless person better than he likes the rich person, because the homeless person isn't a phony. God doesn't like phonies. Elitism breeds divisions and rivalries. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. Now, what I mean by that is that each one of you is saying, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, who is Simon Peter, I belong to Christ. Religions. That's what people do when they get together, they create religions. 1 Corinthians 1.13, Has Christ been divided into component parts? No, Paul wasn't crucified for your sake, was he? No, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul, were you? No, I was thinking about this last night. I used to be so proud when I would say, I'm a Roman Catholic. <laughs> I'm a Christian. The, the Christ part is the key. I'm a, I'm a Roman Catholic. What, is, what does that even mean? This means I'm going to hell. If I don't believe in the right Christ, divisions and rivalries cause us to forget who we are in union with Christ. Rather than being changed, free to live God's standards, we remain in slavery under the old standards that we were freed from by the Lord at the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3. And so I, Paul, brethren, fellow believers in Christ, could not speak to you, Corinthian believers, as I would speak to spiritual persons, those with the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ, but I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants in union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you are not yet able to digest solid food. and even Indeed, even now you are not yet able to digest solid food. Why? Because you're still acting as if you are fleshly. You're acting like unbelievers. That's what God doesn't want, and that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Your believers in Christ don't act like unbelievers. For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you at a continuous state, are you not fleshly? Aren't you acting like unbelievers, being selfish? And aren't you walking in lifestyle like mere men, as if you are not spirit-filled persons? Now, I can't leave my Roman Catholic friends hanging about that comment that I made about Roman Catholics going to hell. Listen, I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years on the track to be a Jesuit priest. And the thing that shocked me more than anything else, it was to find out that, the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is not the same Jesus Christ of biblical Christianity. It is another Jesus. How do I know? All you have to do is look in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it says that Jesus did not finish the work of salvation at the cross, so every day the priest is helping them by turning a bread, a piece of bread and some wine into the body and blood of Christ. It says it in the Catechism. I don't make this stuff up. My opinion does not matter. I tell you that over and over and over again. But if you're part of a religion, you need to read the doctrines of your religion. You don't get to do this. You don't get to, 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 to take the catechism of the Catholic Church, which says A, B, and C is the truth. And you look at it and say, well, I don't like B. I don't like B, so I'm not going to pay attention to B, but I like A and C. You don't get to do that. That makes you a cafeteria Roman Catholic. You pick and choose what you want. No, you don't get to do that. If you believe in Roman Catholicism, you believe in the whole book. All right, so here, in Roman Catholicism, you got the Catechism of the Catholic Church plus the Bible. Never open the Bible. They're both books for Roman Catholicism, allegedly. Every time I talked about opening the Bible, I got hit with a ruler, with several rulers, with rubber bands around them. And every time I asked penetrating questions, I got hit. Do you think that was going to stop me from asking so that I could find out the truth? There's no way. A question is a weapon. You ought to always be asking questions. You ought to question everything I do here. If you're not, then you're not doing what the Bereans did. The Bereans after they heard Paul, went home and studied the Bible to see if what Paul was saying is so. I think that's in Acts chapter 17. You ought to be doing that every week. Now, so remaining in the old life as a Christian, like a dog returning to its vomit, leads to conduct unbecoming of a Christian, such as incest. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 it is actually reported by Chloe's people and others that there is sexual immorality among you. The kind of sexual immorality in the Corinthian church among believers that is not even considered okay among the Gentile unbelievers who find some conduct repugnant. The mafia term infomnia. That someone is having sex with his father's wife. Someone's having sex with his stepmother. In the mafia, there is conduct that is called infomnia. You don't sell drugs to kids. You don't mess with a man's family. Those are infomnia. And what is an infomnia? It's a term that comes from the word infamy, which means despicably shameful conduct. And even though in the mafia you may be a made man, you can be killed for stuff like that. You can be killed for infomnia. The kind of conduct that no one in his right mind would ever engage in. Now, the manifestation of elitism, divisions, rivalries, and sinfulness gone bad leads to destructive competition between believers in Christ. And one form of this destructive competition between believers in Christ is is what breeds lawsuits, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. So let's look at the passage we're studying, and then we'll go specifically, zoom in to the four verses for today. Does any one of you in the Corinthian church, you believers in the Corinthian church, when he has a legal case against his neighbor, a fellow believer in Christ, dare to go to law before unrighteous unbelievers, dare to go to law before outsiders, and not Instead, go to law before the saints? Go to law before the righteous ones? Insiders? 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Or do you not know that the saints, believers in Christ, will judge the world one day? If the world is to be judged by you saints, if God thinks you're good enough to judge the world one day as saints, and that is the truth. Aren't you competent to judge the most trivial, civil, legal cases among you? Do you not know, Paul loves this one in this passage, that as saints we will judge angels also? And if God thinks you are competent enough to judge angels as saints, how much more then will we be competent enough to judge the ordinary matters of this life? What is that? Civil cases. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 4. So if you set up law courts dealing with trivial, civil, legal matters of this life, why don't you appoint as judges those who are held in contempt within your own church? And that means the poor, men of little account, persona non grata. And as we accurately put in the slide, the poo, not just the poor, the poo, because the poor, the poe are considered poo, Amen. That was a little joke. First Corinthians six five. Ha ha ha. June never laughs in church when I make some, say something funny. But anytime I call her during the week on the phone, she's laughing hysterically the whole time. It's all right. It's no problem. At least I didn't run out of breath at the end of my song. All right, let's continue. <laughs> it's like, come on, get it out, girlfriend. The hell, we'll play the tape next time. <laughs> or C D or whatever it is. First Corinthians. <laughs> First Corinthians six five. I, Paul, say all of this to shame you elitist believers in the Corinthian church. If you're so smart, isn't there among you one wise man who'll be able to decide a dispute between his brethren? First Corinthians six six. Instead, brother goes to law with brother, and then takes that before judges who are unbelievers. All right, here's the part of the passage we're going to look at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 to 11. This is the controversial, always used wrong verses, and I'll tell you some funny stories about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Actually then, it is already a spiritual defeat for you believers in the Corinthian church, not a legal defeat, but a spiritual defeat, that you have civil lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? (laughs) That's one of the most wronged people in the congregation. I know what that amen was about. Amen? Why not rather be defrauded? 1 Corinthians 6.8, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud you do this even to your brethren 1 Corinthians 6:9 here are the next two verses these are the ones that are distorted or do you not know that the unrighteous which is unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of god now if you leave that unbelief believers off what people see is do you know do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And people interpret that, that the unrighteous are people who commit sins. Incorrect. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, which are males sexually penetrated by males, nor homosexuals, those who penetrate eff- effeminate males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Some of you were of these lifestyles that would exclude you from the kingdom of God, but then you were washed, cleansed from your filth through the water of the word, the gospel message. But then you were sanctified, set apart in union with Christ. But then you were justified, acquitted, legally declared as having absolute righteousness by God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit of our God and Father. See, the big problem with all this conduct among Christians that's being delineated in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 is that there's no way to tell the difference between a believer in Christ and an unbeliever if you're going to act the same way they act. Even though there is a big difference between believers in Christ and unbelievers, what's the big difference? We have the victory. We are overcomers. We are saved. We are going to heaven. We could never be confused with unbelievers. Amen? And in the midst of our mistakes, when we get behind God's eyes, when he looks at us, he loves us unconditionally. He has forgiven us in the past with the result that we stand forgiven forever. We don't ever have to ask him for forgiveness forgiveness again because we already have it. So you don't ask for stuff you have. He, has planted, in us, he has, has planted us in a sphere of grace, a geodesic dome of grace where we are free to make mistakes as we continue to learn and as we continue to be transformed from that initial transformation where we became a new creation at the moment of salvation. All right, now when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering And then we'll deal with this difficult passage that has been abused by legalists for centuries. Take a five-minute break.
2: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite We'll all I never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright and David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose Down in history as another blood bought, faithful member of the family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me. I'm living for the world to see nobody but you.
0: Today's Bible lesson, no matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. No matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. Well may God the Holy Spirit open your hearts wide with generosity for the sake of the spread of the gospel message, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the pleasure of our loving heavenly Father. let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message
3: <clears throat> Good, morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And I, I think I'm on the same page with pastors. I miss my sports. I miss something that I just, I don't know, something weird about it. It's like I just expect something to be on. So I've been thinking about teams a lot lately in my own high school days when I was a, a superstar, <laughs> you know, playing baseball and football. And you think about teams and teams have a lot of a lot of similarities with church and with the body of Christ because once you're on a team it's almost like you have propitiation you're on the team you don't have to try to work to get on the team or stay on the team you just keep doing your part you know on each team there's a every, everybody has a there's practice for the team so you come and you practice together and you work together and you work on your your rhythm together and your unity of spirit and everything and those things really matter. And then on the team, you also have positions. Everybody has a position on the team. You have a job to do. And it's a little different in each sport's how it works together or you work individually, but everybody has a position. And I think like, that's how the church really should act is a lot like a team. We really should group together, and we should have T-shirts and hats. We kind of have some of that. <clears throat> but I, I, when I look at the Bible, I always wonder, you know, where is the verse that's kind of helped me think about how I should treat my team because sometimes the team doesn't always work together very well sometimes rivalries exist and sometimes people are a little more competitive they worry about their own numbers and not the team they're worried about their own their own uh, glory, so to speak, instead of worrying about God the glory being to God and it's real easy for people to get wrapped up in their own personal lives and bring that into the church or bring that into a team and kind of disrupt things. but I think there's a verse that helps us get through that and that's Philippians chapter three verses 13 and 14 Brethren I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet it being knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering us being conformed to his death but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead Philippians chapter 3 verse 14 I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God the Father in union with Christ Jesus so as a team, we should just always press on, right? Let's just, we don't need to hold grudges. We don't need to say, hey, that person did this one time, and now I need to get him back. And especially like pastor, how, you should never even think about the fact that we hold a grudge towards you. We're just as guilty of that. It's like Adam and Eve. Can Adam hold a grudge against Eve? No. He decided. He knew the rules. We have the Bible. We could have known the rules. You know, so it's. We just need to remember as a team here, we, we have propitiation. We don't have to try. We're here. We're not going to look down on anybody. We're not going to hold grudges because that's what Christ wouldn't, he wouldn't want us to do that. You know, we all have, we all have to practice. We're not going to get perfect to give them the gospel unless we practice. And we're not going to know our position and know our spiritual gift unless we're here. And we're engaged in our spiritual life, just as personal as Jesus Christ is with our life. Let's get personal the same way. And I was thinking, there's, you know, you got hey Siri or you got Alexa and you got hey Google, and I was thinking instead of that, just say hey Bible, you know, let's let's ask questions to the Bible instead of Google or Alexa, and that's really the the only truth we have in this world. Because you look at what we just had this pandemic, it's it's ruining our lives, it's ruining some people's careers, businesses are closing, and it's it's very very trying. But you know, if you go to the Word, that God's going to get us through it. He's going to conform us to his death. And once there's a death, there's always a life. So after this little scandemic death, we'll have some lives. And so I know these businesses are just going to explode. So hopefully businesses that aren't doing well in Cali can move to Arizona and do even better. Who knows? So, you know, as a team, let's work together. Let's let's have a little effort in this, each other, and let's give our time, our talent, and our treasure when we get the chance. So thank you very much for continuing to... Always bless this ministry with your blessings and for supporting our pastor. So thank you.
0: Today's Bible lesson, no matter how bad you think you are, God has changed you. You are a new creature. Well, the court system in first in the first century favored the rich and decimated the poor. Unlike today, right? <laughs> if you ain't got no money, you ain't gonna get no justice. Amen? Amen. Be- <laughs> Yes, the court system favors the rich and decimates the poor just as it does today it was elitist and just as you can do today if you are wealthy you can buy a victory especially in civil trials as in contrast to criminal trials if you murder somebody you have a tough time buying your way out of that but what if you have a lot of parking tickets in chicago you can buy your way out of parking tickets. There was a thing called the Grey Lords Probe where they, they did this, uh, this, this investigation. The FBI did an investigation about corruption among judges in Chicago. Now, that's just stupid to say. Judge in Chicago corruption. It's the same word, right? But here's what was happening. Let's say you had 150 parking tickets. And you wanted to get out of it. There would be a publication that said, hey, if you want to get rid of those parking tickets, call this number. It would go right into a police station, right to a desk, and the police officer would say, here's what you can do. 150 tickets would be $5,000. Just put $2,500 in cash, in a brown paper bag, meet me at this pillar in the courthouse, and I will exchange $2,500 for a thing from a judge that says that all your tickets are dismissed. And that was it. That's Chicago politics right there. That was it. You just buy your way out of 150 tickets with some cash, and the judge would sign off on it. That's quite illegal, but that's exactly what was going on then, and it's the same thing that goes on right now. All right, well, that's the same thing that was going on in first century uh, Corinth, you could buy your way out of civil things because they weren't considered that serious. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 then says this. Actually then, it is already a spiritual defeat for you believers in Christ in the Corinthian church that you have civil lawsuits with one another. Why not I'd rather be wronged? Why not I'd rather be defrauded? In minor disputes, believers were going against believers in the courts. Trials in the first century were all about slander. It was the ruining of the reputation of a person, much like what happens today when you commit a sexual crime and you get on the sex offenders list. If you are engaged in child uh, pederasty, which is having sex with a child, you go on a sex offenders list. If you solicit a prostitute, you go on a sex offenders list. Any sexual crime, you go on a list. Okay, now here's the way I thought it worked in the United States, because it used to work this way. What used to happen is you commit a crime, you get accused of it, you get convicted of it, you get a sentence. Okay, you did this crime, whatever the crime is, the sentence is 10 years, you did the 10 years, and then it was done. That's it. And what do we say? You paid your debt to society. Then all of a sudden, that wasn't good enough. And now it's, yeah, you paid your debt to society, but we're going to stick a label on you that is an identity. You're a sex offender. And so when you move into a neighborhood, you have to announce, even after you've paid the debt, you have to announce that you're a sex offender. Now, you don't have to announce that you're a murderer. But you do have to announce that you're a sex offender. This is our system. This is justice. This isn't justice. This isn't second chance oriented. This isn't you paid your debt. This is a stain that never goes away. Oh, but Pastor, there are some crimes that need harsher punishments. There are all crimes have Varying punishments. But you can buy down. That's our system. You can buy your way down. You can plea bargain. It's not fair. But that's, you think it's not fair today? First century, the poor didn't have a chance. Did not have a chance. So what's Paul talking about? He's saying this litigious mentality obliterates the body of Christ, the fellowship of the entire congregation. This is a failure of unconditional love because a litigious mentality is selfish. Litigation is win-lose. It's not win-win. It's not what works for both of us in a dispute. It's I want to win and I want to crush you in the process. And Paul is recommending that even those considered the least among the congregation are competent enough to settle simple disputes It does not have to go to court. God is watching how we handle disputes, and his recommendation comes through the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be better to be defrauded or to be wronged than to get our disputes settled by unbelievers? Now, if you wonder what God's answer is, isn't it great that he wasn't looking for fair treatment when he went to the cross? As one of the thieves on the cross said, "This man, we deserve to be on these crosses because we were guilty. This man hasn't done a thing. As he w- walked to the cross, he was punched in the face. People put a bag over his head, punched him in the face and said, hey, prophet, prophesy who hit you. They pulled his beard out. He was unrecognizable by the time he got to the cross. He was so beaten. Completely unfairly. And he didn't stand up and start saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. He took the punishment. He would rather be wronged and rather be defrauded than not go to the cross to pay for every sin of every person who ever came to the earth. Amen? For a Christian refusing to press an advantage through a lawsuit, that is a reflection of our Savior. When we have somebody down and their throat's exposed and we decide not to cut their throat, that is a victory that is a reflection of our Savior. The Lord could have turned his back on us when we were at our worst, and he didn't. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were yet sinners... While we were unrighteous, ungodly, unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. He didn't die for us when we were good. He died for us when we were at our worst. He didn't pick uh, the, the best person in the world to write the New Testament. He picked the most despicable person in the world, Paul, ever, to write the New Testament. Why did he do that? You know why because he's a God of second chances. And then third and fourth and fifth and Paul, uh, Peter, uh, you know, the the Mosaic law said, give people three chances. Peter, being the benevolent big mouth that he was, said, hey, God, when I forgive my friends, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times? Aren't I benevolent four times more than the Mosaic law? Jesus said, not seven times. I'd tell you 70 times seven. And he was referring specifically to the Jews because 70 times 7 is 490, and that's how many years the Jews had to evangelize. He dropped a bomb on Mr. Peter. Amen? So we reflect the Lord when we do what is suggested in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, which says this, Therefore I, Paul, am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? I didn't hear you. All right, so it's better to handle disputes in-house with other Christians than to go before unbelievers for resolution. As Christians, We can choose the ways of the world to which we do not belong, or we can choose the ways of God. And Paul's saying, choose the ways of God. Stop choosing the ways of the world. The way of the world is I make a mistake, I beat myself up. That's not the way of Christians. We make a mistake and we laugh about it. Paid for. Paid for. Free ice cream cone. Get on with it. Keep changing me, Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 8, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You don't, what is Paul saying here? You don't prefer to be wronged and defrauded. Instead, you wrong and defraud people. You believers in the Corinthian church, and you do this even to your brothers. You do it to family. Paul is suggesting that if Christians engage in lawsuits in front of the unjust, Unbelievers, then we are demonstrating injustice to it, injustice to our brethren. And this reminds me of Christian couples who go to marriage counseling with unbelievers. What kind of advice is darkness going to give to the light? They're going to give us dark advice. I've always thought that marriage counseling was kind of goofy. And I do. And I'll tell you why, not because marriage counseling in itself is goofy because I have done marriage counseling, I have been to marriage counselors, and they give some great advice. The problem is, what happens when you get home, after you've paid the $175 for the hour, amen? You've got to actually do what the person said. you actually got to try it. And that's what happens, because the problem is an authority orientation problem, typically, on either part lording authority over or not submitting, whatever it is. Because if there's a tie in a marriage, the guy gets to break the tie, according to God. All right, we've talked about it. Everything has been talked out. I think this is the best way to go. Okay, that's the way we go. And when the husband happens to be wrong, what do you do? You go talk to your girlfriends about it and tell, tell your girlfriends how goofy it is. No, you forget it. It's unconditional love. Did you think you were marrying somebody other than a human being? Did you think that the person that you married wasn't going to make stupid decisions or mistakes? They always do, especially men. Men don't even get mature. They, They don't even have a chance at maturity until they're 40 years old, amen? And then they're lucky after that. I've worked with a lot of men in business. Until they get 40 years old, they're goofy. They just are. I don't think men should get married before they're 40 years old. I don't. Because we haven't slain our demons. We're goofy. But that's just personal opinion. There's nothing biblical about that. Amen? Not going to see that in the New Testament. And we're going to study marriage when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. God wants community in the church at Corinth where unconditional love dominates. And if Barah Ministries is a congregation that reflects the world's view, then we aren't a very high-impact congregation. I do not happen to think that Barah Ministries reflects the world view. I think we have a group of people within Barah Ministries who really genuinely care about each other, and it's a fantastic thing to be a part of. And it's a a fantastic thing to watch it grow. All right, the next two verses are the verses that are typically taken out taken out of context, so I call them the hellion verses because people just distort them. I'm going to read them to you, and then I'm going to tell you what somebody told me about them. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 say this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, that's unbelievers, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's premarital sex, people who have premarital sex, Nor idolaters, people who make idols of any kind. Money can be an idol. Uh, A a person in your life can be an idol. A sports team can be an idol. There can be a lot of idols. Nor adulterers, people who have sex outside of the scope of marriage. Married people who have sex outside of the scope of marriage. Nor effeminate, males who are sexually penetrated by males nor homosexuals, those who penetrate effeminate males, 1 Corinthians 6.10, nor thieves, anyone who steals anything at any time, including office supplies, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Have you ever been drunk? Nor revilers, people who fight. Ever been in a fight, verbal or otherwise? Nor swindlers. Ever double-crossed somebody? Ever cheated anybody out of something? Ever buy something from a store and taking it back, knowing good and well that you used it for a longer period of time than you should have, and then take it back to the store, you're a swindler. All of those, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You're going to hell. Okay, now, I can see from the eyeballs that all of you have found yourself on that list. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> amen calm down over there amen you find yourself on that list Yep. okay i didn't hear you see you when you're guilty you don't want to talk did you find yourself on this list yes or no Yes. okay thank you all right now here's the funny here's the funny part so you know we have a, a ministry to the vets right <laughs> so i come in one day i'm probably half an hour early And there's seven vets sitting around a table. So they call me over. Hey, pastor, come over here. Come over here. And they pull out these two verses. And they said, read these verses. So I read the verses. They said, okay, pastor, I have a question for you. I said, okay, go ahead. Do you think faggots can go to heaven? Because it says on here that if you are effeminate that is penetrated by a male or homosexual which is a penetrator of effeminate males you can't go to heaven so pastor what's your opinion about this i said well my opinion in two dollars and 40 cents will get you a cup of starbucks coffee it doesn't matter what my opinion is it's what that passage says okay well what does that passage say well i said this passage is very misunderstood so let's first start with the basics. How do you get to heaven? They said, you believe in Jesus Christ. I said, correct. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven, correct? They said, yes. I said, okay, what if you're a believer in Christ and you commit the sin of homosexuality? Are you going to heaven? They said, no. I, oh, wait a wait, wait a minute. Wait, let's back up. You said the only condition for going to heaven is believing in Christ, right? Yes. Okay, now a believer in Christ who is going to heaven commits the sin of homosexuality. Are they going to heaven? No. Faggots are not going to be in heaven. But okay. All right. Well, let's let's just put that on the side for a second. All right, let's go look at this passage, really. Okay, 1 Corinthians. The first thing you have to see in these verses is it says, Or do you not know, which is, you aren't ignorant, are you? This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know, you're not ignorant, are you, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who are the unrighteous? Unbelievers. This is not concerning believers in Christ. All right? Uh, uh, all right, don't, don't take my word for that. Let's just put that over here, too. Let's just sit that there. Okay, now. So... Not fornicators. Fornicators won't inherit the kingdom of God. Have any of you guys ever engaged in premarital sex? Silence. I wasn't talking, I was talking to the vets here. I'm still in the vet story here, June. Yeah, we don't don't need to hear about your sins, amen? (laughs) All right, so silence. I said, have you guys ever engaged in idolatry? Yeah, no, not really. Do you have a favorite sports team? Yeah. You spend a lot of team time watching them? Yeah. Idolatry. You spend time doing that and you don't spend time with God? It's idolatry. Uh. Adultery. Ever been married and had sex outside of your marriage? Silent. All right, you already talked about effeminate and homosexuals. Let's go over to the next one. 6'10". Ever stolen anything? Yeah, not really. Yes, you have. Ever been greedy? Well, what is greed? Like, I was really hungry and ate a lot of food? No, greedy is taking advantage of somebody else, benefiting yourself at their expense. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Ever gotten drunk? (laughs) All right, why would I ask that of guys in the military, right? Ever had fights? you're in the military ever con somebody out of something you know you have so why did you single out the sexual sin of homosexuality from this list when what it says is anybody who does any of these things is going to hell see they completely missed the point of the verses because they took them out of the context of the passage What the passage is saying here, legalists have a field day with this passage because what they want to say is that if you commit these sins, you're going to hell. Well, then what did Jesus Christ do at the cross? I think he paid for every sin we would ever commit past, present, and future. So sin is not the thing that does or doesn't get you into heaven. Why can't we get that? Legalists have a field day with the passage because they claim if you sin, you're going to hell, that is false, and you especially are going to go to a special place in hell if you commit the worst sins. But one thing God makes absolutely clear clear through Paul in this letter is that in spite of their abominable sins, the Corinthian believers in Christ, in fact, no believers in Christ, will be in hell. Corinthian believers in Christ will not be in hell, and no believer in Christ will be in hell. And especially not for their sins. In fact, unbelievers aren't going to the lake of fire because of their sins. Because unbelievers' sins have been paid for too. That's not why they go to hell. Why they go to hell is because they choose to reject their relationship with Christ. Once you accept a relationship with Christ, You cannot go to hell, period, end of discussion. The Bible says so. So what do they do? They take these two out of context. They miss the unrighteousness part. They zoom in on one or two sins, but don't look at the whole list, all of which they have committed. Those are my vet buddies. And so I came back two months later, because we go to see the vets every couple months, and one of the guys called me over, and he said, Hey... I heard that little conversation when you had those seven guys about 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. I said, yeah, I, I hope I got them straightened out. He said, you didn't. They said that the reason that you don't think homosexual homosexuals are going to be in heaven is because you're a faggot. <laughs> All right. oh, that's great. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. <laughs> Wow. That's beautiful.
0: (laughs) That is just beautiful. I love that so much. It was so funny. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Here was the problem with the first century church sexual sins were rampant, and they were socially acceptable even among Christians, and especially among the Christians at Corinth. Nothing has changed much in that regard, has it? Pornéia is the Greek word for sexual sins, and they are fine with Christians today. As a matter of fact, if you ask most Christians if premarital sex is okay, they will say absolutely. They ain't thinking about what God has to say about it. They're talking about what they like and what they approve of. As a matter of fact, parents are giving their teenage kids condoms. Now, why are you doing that? Parents are putting their teenage daughters on birth control pills. Why are you doing that? What you're saying is it's okay to have premarital sex as long as you don't get pregnant. That's not what God has to say about it. But who cares what he has to say? What does he know? He's out of touch. He's 2,000 years out of date. Because in the modern times, we're different. This was the first century church. The same philosophy was going on. We think we have sexual sin problems today with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning movement. We are kindergartners compared to the first century Roman practices. In the first century, male prostitution was prevalent. Male prostitution. What kind? Pederasty. Sex with little boys. Rampant. Fourteen of the first 15 Roman emperors were known to engage in and to endorse homosexuality or bisexuality. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. Fourteen of the first 15 presidents of Rome, they were called emperors, either engaged in homosexuality openly and verbally, or bisexuality. Yeah. Sexual sins don't diminish in evil in God's eyes just because they're socially accepted by humans. You know, now we got rainbows everywhere all over our Facebook pages. Right? <laughs> and so because we say it's okay, then it's okay. No, it isn't. Here's what the Old Testament view of sexual sins was. And this is from the Mosaic law. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. Code. That's code. You shall not have sex with another male if you are a male like you would have sex with a female. It is an abomination. That's Leviticus 18:22. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, tells the penalty for it. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. They were stoned to death. Pastors today don't want to touch the subject because... They are considered controversial for telling the truth concerning what is in the Bible. In reality, they are simply cowards. They are not controversial. They're cowards because they don't want to tell their congregation the truth. Because if they do, they're going to lose a lot of contributions in the, in the coffers. If people have trouble with what the Bible says, they should ask for an immediate audience with the guy who wrote it. Now, you have to die to do that, but I highly recommend it. You want to talk to God about it? Die and go talk to him about it. He made up the rules. I didn't write the Bible. There's no need for me to interpret it because the Bible is crystal clear when we look at it through God's eyes. When we look at the Bible through man's eyes, it's subject to interpretation. All of us have sinned, and in God's eyes, all sins are horrible. In the Roman Catholic Church, we had mortal sins and venial sins. The sins that would send you to hell and the sins that weren't that bad. That's a human view. Suicide was a mortal sin. If you commit suicide, you're going to hell, according to the Roman Catholic Church. That is not true, according to the Bible. Paul expresses horror concerning same-sex intercourse, and some of the Greek words translated to describe same-sex intercourse are, in English, dishonorable passion, shameful acts, also known as infomnia, and sins against nature. That's the way the Greek words describe same-sex acts, and it does not discriminate by gender. It is men or women engaging in same-sex acts. Well, what is typical in the kingdom of unrighteousness is a lifestyle of open rebellion against God. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 is all about. But it's not about sins, although that those verses mention the sins of the day. It's a critique of the unbeliever's lifestyle. Those sins are part of the unbeliever's lifestyle. That's what's being con- con- uh, commented on the rebellious, anti-God lifestyle that mires them in their unbelief. And Paul is suggesting that believers who engage in the unbeliever lifestyle are acting against their new nature. Six times in one passage, Paul asks the Corinthian believers, do you not know? In other words, don't you remember what you were taught? Are you ignorant? When we choose to believe in Christ, we choose to subject ourselves to a completely different set of values. Greed is one of the sins mentioned in that passage. Greed is not on the list of Christian values, treating others as objects of your gratification, and it is done by the rich and the poor. Those who are greedy are insatiable. Perfect description of people who are complaining that they got stimulus checks, but they should get more. Insatiable. If they got more, they'd be complaining that they should get more. And if they got more then, they'd still be complaining that they should get more because the world just ought to give me everything while I sit here and put my arms out. If you want that, if you want to get everything and do nothing by sitting out and putting your arms out, then believe in Christ. He'll do it for you. The government's not going to do that for you. Nobody in their right mind wants to live like that. We want to work. We don't want to sit at home. We're not baby birds waiting for somebody to drop worms in our mouths. So the point of those two verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10, is that since God's kingdom is righteous, unrighteousness can't be part of it. And now the slam dunk. Here's the, the conclusion of the passage. If you were confused about those last two verses, let this clear up the confusion. First Corinthians 6, 11. Some of you were of these lifestyles that would exclude you from the kingdom of God, the lifestyle of sin mentioned in 9 and 10. But, but, now you are washed What does that mean? You're cleansed from the filth of that lifestyle through the water of the word, the gospel message. You're cleansed from that lifestyle once you believe. Why? Because at the moment of salvation, God imputes his absolute righteousness to you. You're cleansed. But now you are sanctified. What does that mean? You're set apart in union with Christ for a set of privileges that would boggle your mind if you knew what they all were. But now you are justified, completely acquitted for your sins, declared not guilty, legally declared as righteous by God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the baptism of God the Holy Spirit of our God and Father where the Holy Spirit places you into a union with Christ that you can never get out of. Look at my hands. You could try to get out of the union with Christ. There's no way... You could ever do it. Amen? Ever. Not ever. Paul wants to make it clear that the sins in verses 9 and 10 are part of our were life, our former life, and they are not to be a part of our now you are life. Christianity offers us a life of transformation. Sexually, materially, personally. God completely transforms us from our sinful lifestyles and he doesn't want us to revert to the previous lifestyle. But those of you who are in systematic theology, you're reversionists! You're going to have blackout of the soul! (laughs) You remember that crap? You remember that stupidity perpetrated by one of the most intelligent men I've ever met? Stupidity. Absolute stupidity that we were willing to believe. Why? Because we we love feeling bad. We love thinking that God is disappointed with us. We love, love, love thinking that we can help God somehow. We can't. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 18 Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life can you put that verse up please sir You were not redeemed you were not purchased with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life the old life that you inherited from your forefathers 1st Peter 1:19 but you were redeemed with precious blood that's the only way to cleanse, get cleansed from sin, with blood. Whose blood? I think and Denny mentioned the word about eight times in his offering message, propitiation. There is one perfectly satisfactory solution for the sin problem. It is the blood of Christ alone, propitiation. You were redeemed with precious blood, the blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. And once you are cleansed from your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is an accomplished fact that cannot be changed, and it is something that applies to every single person, every single creature who has ever lived. Once you've been cleansed with that blood, there is no need for an additional bath. There's no need for purgatory, the additional cleansing from sin. There's no need for confession of sins. Because you're out of fellowship and you've got to get back in. That's just silliness. That we love to believe. Because we don't want to look at life from God's perspective. We want to look at it from man's perspective. And all their stupid interpretations of goofiness, all designed to make it okay for us to beat ourselves up. Can we change? Probably not. Probably not. If you look at the evidence, we don't. But will we change? Absolutely. Why? Because if the Lord is powerful enough to save us, and he is, then God the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to sanctify us. And that means to conform us to the image of the Son. That's what he promised to do. That's what he's going to do. And he has never failed. And you ain't going to be the first one he fails with. Amen? All right, well, maybe June. So isn't it about time? (laughs) Isn't it about time to live as who you are in union with Christ? That's what Paul asked believers in Corinth, and that's what I'm going to keep on asking you. Isn't it about time? That you learn to live who you are in union with the Almighty Christ. All right, well, the closing moments of our study are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe. We want you to know that God wants you. And what He wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven? Or will you go to hell? Well, many think the key to getting to heaven is to be a good person. According to this standard, a bad person goes to hell. Well, the Bible obliterates this delusion. The Bible says we're all bad people. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10. It is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Your condition at your physical birth is not your fault, but it is your circumstance. But the good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your problem because he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's not willing for you to go to the lake of fire, then there's only one way for you to get there. You have to choose to go there yourself. The Lord provides human beings with the Bible to eliminate the path to heaven, to illuminate the path to heaven. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. But these things written here have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit, right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, which say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. Being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this, but if salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If you have to work for a free gift, then the work makes you worthy of the gift. In salvation, there is no work that you could ever do that would be impressive to God. The Lord would never allow you to save yourself. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. I am the resurrection life, and no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. It's wise to let God save you, because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Are you ready to join me in heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Do it now, right where you sit. Let's close with some music. The Lord Jesus Christ is the still point in a chaotic universe. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from God the Father, the Father of the heavenly lights, the stars, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. While he is still... We revolve around him just as the earth revolves around the sun. Here's June Murphy to sing about it in her song, My World Revolves Round Jesus Christ. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for all the things that you do to make us whole. And one of the things that we seem to refuse to do is to really take what you're saying seriously because the propaganda that comes from the world is so overwhelming that we listen to it rather than listening to you. We listen to the noise. So help us to expose ourselves more to you and your word so that we can follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and so that we can take advantage of our union with your Son. And as we go forward into the world, let us speak with courage about what you've done to solve the problems that we're experiencing right now and how that you will make sure that our compensation is handled and our lifestyles are returned to us in freedom because that's how powerful you are. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.